from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Calving in extreme cold. And it's just hard on people, it's hard on livestock, it's hard on machinery. We check in with one Montana rancher about how things are going this winter. Getting the most out of cover crops. How do we get that cover crop integrated into a system without inhibiting yield overall? Some advice to help you flip your soil. As Congress tries to get the ball rolling again on the farm bill, the latest on the time frame and what it will take to get it done right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when blood, sweat, and tears meet rain, wind, and sun. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. What will it take to get a new farm bill through Congress? House Ag Committee Chair G.T. Thompson recently provided an update. And Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins us. And Michelle, when does the chairman think they will be able to mark up the bill? Clinton Thompson says the chairman's mark of the farm bill isn't likely to be completed in early February as previously reported, but instead it may be March. He says in part because of the congressional schedule, but also they're waiting for the CBO score. Chairman Thompson in an interview on Agritalk says they need three consecutive weeks for markup. House Speaker Johnson, he says, has been very supportive in pushing the timeline of the farm bill. However, while the House is in session nearly three weeks straight from January 29th to February 12th, it's more likely the chairman's mark will happen in the first three weeks of March. It really comes down to looking, uh, as I'm looking at the schedule, the congressional schedule, we need three, three consecutive weeks to be able to get this done. He says they're also waiting for several key things to move forward on the farm bill, including the Congressional Budget Office completing its financial analysis of all the titles. Uh, I have certainly listed the um, speaker and his staff support of uh, joining me and and just really encouraging the Congressional Budget Office to uh, provide their their full attention to the farm bill. Meanwhile, Senate Act Committee Chairman Debbie Stabenow has discussed making updates to the Title I program, such as ARC and PLC, and raising reference prices. Thompson says that may be a financial challenge. Well, it's it's a significant amount of money, and and yeah. we, I certainly believe that we need to do that. How much we can do uh, and what improvements we'll be able to accomplish uh, is is part of the remaining task of, of where can we find uh, the financial resources. We... Uh, you know, there is no new money available really to invest in the current needs beyond those okay. identified within our jurisdiction. That said, current and future needs cost money. Chairwoman Stabenow also sent a letter to her colleagues with a proposal to improve crop insurance, but it would require row crop farmers to pick between subsidized crop insurance or the safety net programs in the farm bill. This concept failed in previous farm bills, and Thompson responded that they need to protect and strengthen crop insurance, and it must be affordable for everyone. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. Now, for the first time in almost nine years, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack has met with his Chinese counterpart as part of the Joint Committee on Cooperation in Agriculture. Vilsack meeting with China's Minister of Agriculture and Rural Affairs, Tang Rijinan, in Washington. Vilsack saying in a statement that in addition to addressing outstanding market access issues and other U.S. ag concerns, the two discussed approaches to tackle climate and food security challenges. Vilsack said he emphasized the importance of an enabling environment for innovative technologies and practices in an effort 
to ensure productive and sustainable ag systems and to facilitate trade. Now on Friday, USDA announced a soybean sale to China of almost 11 million bushels. Relief from the bitter cold is on the way this week. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht joins us with an update. Matt? As we look ahead to, to our Tuesday and Wednesday, so we're starting to flip the script. Uh, to start January, it was all about the cold air and the snow. But as we transition into our Tuesday night and our Wednesday, and you see a pocket of warm air. Now you can just see it with the rain and snow line. The snow line basically retreating back up here into Michigan and Wisconsin and it will continue to push to the north and to the northeast, meaning anything that comes through and we're expecting a couple of systems to come through both Wednesday and into Thursday, spreading ample rainfall in and across the United States. There is some concern now, the flooding potential with these next two systems. That air is going to be a little bit warmer, but also the ground is now frozen for a large portion of not only the plains, but also the Midwest. And that's where we may see uh, the potential for some flooding with that frozen ground. Go ahead and take a look at your screen here. Check out the courtesy peanut. Great name. More scenes uh, from last week will send a shiver up your spine. The peanut Coleman. Name uh, Virginia saying it was a nice, clear three degree morning. And the boys don't mind, and we know they didn't because Peanut was working hard to take care of them. I'll have more in your forecast coming up. A new company just got approved to sell the world's first steaks made from cultivated beef cells. An Israeli company, Elf Farms, just got the go ahead from the country's health ministry. It uses cells from a fertilized egg of an Angus cow from California. The cells are then combined with special nutrients to help them grow into sheets of meat that can be shaped into cutlets or steaks. Now, last year, it got approval to sell lab-grown chicken here in the U.S. Globally, more than 100 companies are working to create cell-cultured or lab-grown meat. Flip Your Soil on Ag Day is brought to you by ESN. Hear how farmer Heath Cottrell achieved award-winning corn yields with ESN Smart Nitrogen. Learn more at smartnitrogen.com. Planning is underway for the 2024 crop season and one practice farmers are integrating into their cropping plans to flip their soil and improve yields is cover crops. Now farmers need to be planning well ahead of the season what their goals are and how they'll incorporate those cover crops into their agronomic systems. Steve O'Neill with Corn Capital Innovation says to utilize cover crops successfully, farmers need to answer several questions. How do we get that cover crop integrated into a system without inhibiting yield overall? Um, does it make sense financially given the time frame? Are we doing the cover crops because we're actually getting a, a net income bounce because of it? Are we doing it because of a program? What's driving the behavior when it comes to that? O'Neill says while cover crops improve soil health, they also have to make sense financially. But there are many programs providing cost share and technical assistance. In general, it looks like there's going to be more, more incentives to look at cover crops down the road. I think that'll make you know, financial feasibility a little more uh, a little more pro, you know, probable in those situations. O'Neill says cover crops are tricky for farms north of Interstate 80 in the Corn Belt and for farmers in strict corn soybean rotations. Tomorrow, we'll look at some of his tips for success in those areas. It's estimated cotton used by U.S. textile mills will fall to its lowest level in nearly 140 years. Take a look at this graphic from USDA's Economic Research Service. It estimates raw cotton processed into textiles at U.S. mills to be 1.9 million bales for the latest marketing year. 
Now that would be the lowest since 1884 when approximately 1.7 million bales were used. U.S. cotton mill use has been on a downward trend since the early 1940s. That's when cotton use peaked during World War II. After the war, synthetic fibers were developed and began to be used in place of cotton. Despite an export sale to China, soybeans in the week on a down note. We'll take a look at what's expected in markets this week coming up next. And later, calving season in the polar vortex just don't mix. We'll talk with a rancher in Montana. Bayer is introducing a new operating model and says there will be staff reductions. The German-based company calling the new model Dynamic Shared Ownership. It says the aim is to make the company more agile and significantly improve its operational performance. In a news release, the company says there are also regulations for the significant staff reductions expected in the course of restructuring. It says the job cuts will be implemented over the coming months and will be completed by the end of next year. It also says the cuts will include employees in management. It did not provide an exact number of jobs being cut, but Bayer currently employs around 22,000 people in Germany. Last year, Bayer's CEO said the company was looking at potentially spinning off the ag sciences business, but no announcement has been made. It was reported on Friday, China bought almost 11 million bushels of old crop soybeans. That didn't help prop up prices. Ag Day's Michelle Rook is back with more in Markets Now. A mix close in the grains on Friday. Tom Fitzamar with Summit Commodity Brokerage joining us with analysis. Tom, after the reversals on Thursday, we didn't get a lot of follow through in the grains on Friday, did we? No, it really didn't. I, fr Friday was good. Uh, we, made, we made an attempt at a rally, particularly in the corn. Well, in both of them, corn and soybeans, um, right off the bat, but, but it didn't hold. We ended up, like you said, closing mix. So it really was kind of a uh, there was some hopefulness because of those reversals Thursday, but uh, they're just, uh, you know, you have those rallies and you just run into selling. Uh, the Fens have, have been selling for quite a while. They're comfortable doing that. And uh, they've been willing to, anytime it pops up, to jump jump on it. So until something changes fundamentally, I, I'm guessing they're going to continue to do that. There's not a lot going on fundamentally that's all that positive at this point. Well, you just can't rally a market being oversold, though, Tom, right? Right, correct. I, I, that, that's one of the one thing people bring up to me all the time. Well, I need to buy it because it's oversold. Well, the problem with being oversold is you can go sideways for a few days and you work your way out of that oversold condition. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to rally all that much. As we start a new week, what are we going to be focused on as far as Brazil weather? And do you think we'll see a little pickup in farmers selling with better weather? That that's the question. Uh, for sure, uh, South American weather will, will, will be impactful. There's some talk about some dry weather in Argentina, but they've had enough rain recently that I think their soil moisture is pretty good. So I don't think that's going to be a big deal. Um, we're starting to harvest some beans in uh, in Brazil, which is going to lead pretty rapidly to to the beginning of the planting of the safrinha crop. Uh, so they'll they'll be watching that next week. Although I don't suppose it's going to be a big deal because I think. The rains are supposed to be a little better there. Uh, you do bring up farmers selling the farmers sitting on a huge inventory. They have not wanted to move it because of, no, no, well, for two reasons, really. One, because they don't like the price. Uh, and, and number two, it's just hasn't been great weather for digging the truck out and digging the bin out and moving corn. Or, or 
Thanks for joining us. Time for some rare wisdom at Commodity Brokerage. We'll have more update coming up. Now, for the rest of our Tuesday, again, the big story is going to be that transition uh, from the cold, the extreme cold, to the warmer. And we're kind of taking it right in the middle of January, uh, two halves, uh, the coldest to start, warmer to end. Now, here's a look at the jet stream. The overall pattern is going to favor what we'd call kind of this Bermuda high back down here at the bottom right-hand corner of your screen, strengthening or at least uh, holding uh, its strength uh, through most of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. This is one feature or one signal that we track in the spring and the summer. The stronger that Bermuda high gets, uh, the harder it is uh, to push out the warm or what would be in the summer, the hot air. We're seeing that signal show up, and that's why the confidence is high now that uh, we're going to see those above average temperatures, not only in the southeast, but extending across well, the entire nation to start February. So again, there's a jet stream on Tuesday. It got to, again rain spreading where we see the divide between the coldest air back up here to the north and the warmer air down here to the south. So that's why I kind of keep rain in and across the forecast, not only the Gulf Coast states, but extending back up here into the Midwest as well. There's a jet stream coming up on Friday and say you know, may see another storm system move through uh, this upcoming weekend, but more importantly, another ridge starting to develop back off on the West Coast. So in terms of what this means in regards to temperatures, this is between the 26th and the 1st with the temperature outlook. It got red all across the United States. Remember when we looked at this last week and nearly 10 days ago, it was all blue through the nation. Now, I'm not talking just a little blue. It was extreme blue. We're all the way on the other side of the spectrum with more extreme warmth in and across the United States. So that is going to soft, soft, thaw. There we go. Thaw some things out at end of January and into early February. As for that precipitation forecast, for the rest of the week, you got that first system moving through Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Some pockets of some heavier rain in the south and the southeast. Could potentially see some freezing rain, if not some snow back up into Michigan and Wisconsin and Canada. But look at the pocket right here. So our trough is going to dig bring rain into Iowa, Minnesota and Wisconsin uh, before we dry things out into the plains of South and North Dakota. Start off in Iowa, cloudy, high around 32 degrees. South Carolina, partly cloudy, high of only 49 degrees, low of 34. What about East Troy, Wisconsin, high of 32. Is now the time to buy a combine? Sheena Repeat has the latest auction data coming up next. And later, 50 below zero is hard for humans to survive. We'll see how ranchers are working to keep their cattle herds protected in the country. Well, Machine Repeat is already looking ahead to harvest season. He's back this week with a look at prices for used combines. All right, folks, let's talk the used combine market here. Saw some really fascinating data coming out of 2023 into 24 here. I think the current soft spot in the market or the buying opportunity if you're uh, looking to buy is in that six to ten year old range, which it usually uh, has been the case over my thirty four years. Now let's take a uh, combine in that in that age range, John here S six seventy, of course made from twenty twelve to twenty seventeen. Uh, average auction price last year was down twenty three point nine percent to one hundred thousand eight hundred seventy one dollars, down from an average of one hundred thirty two thousand four hundred eighty two dollars and twenty two. Actually, the average price on an S670 had risen the past two years in 21 and 2. Now, a different story if you go one class older, 
Uh, John here, 9770 STS, uh, of course, pre-def, uh, made in 2007 to 2011. Last year, the average auction price on 9770 only fell 3.9%, down to $78,228. Just like the S670, uh, the previous two years, the average auction price had gone up. Uh, now, if we go back to the S600 series in that uh, soft spot, 6 to 10 year old, give or take, uh, average auction price on S690s last year down 19.1% to $119,394. S680s also down similar uh, percentage to 19.6%, average price $108,984. Now, interestingly, the smaller class, the S660, down only 1.5%. Average auction price, $137,063. So actually, John Deere S660s far outselling uh, S670s, S680s, and S690s at auction. Of course, a lot of demand for those smaller class combines. Now, if we hop up to a newer model, John Deere S780, of course, made from 2018 up through 2023 there. Uh, so a huge explosion of the in number sold at auction last year, almost a 400% increase. Uh, but surprisingly, the average auction price only fell 15.5%, down to $293,060. Thanks, Greg. Well, it sounds like a warm-up is on the way. That's good news for some Montana ranchers still recovering from the Arctic blast during cabin season. That story, next. a post going around social media the past couple of weeks saying anyone who has livestock don't talk to them right now because they're in a bad mood and you can understand why from all of the snow to the bitter cold it's been a challenge across the country especially for those now calving in the cold from journal's tyne morgan recently caught up with one montana rancher dealing with these freezing temps last week it was we had actual temperature of 45 below which was a record uh, here in Dillon, Montana. And luckily we had no wind. It would have been, I mean, it would have been devastating if we'd had wind with that. Jim Setz of Setz Angus says their operation has been here for over 100 years and they've seen it all. But negative 45 degrees set a new record for their area. Cold that created one challenge after another. You know, the weather is one challenge, you know, and, and it's just hard on people. It's hard on livestock. It's hard on machinery. But then we're also calving right now also. So um, you know, luckily we're just in the beginning stages of calving. Setsa says it wasn't just how cold it got last year that made it worse or even the amount of snow, but instead it was battling those extremes for four months straight. If you didn't have facilities last year, I know a lot of these commercial guys, I mean, in our, in our part of the country, lost 15 to 25% of their calf crop just through, through the weather. While other producers in parts of Montana dealt with heavy snow late this week, Set says in southwest Montana they got a little relief, seeing a couple days above 30 degrees. Like last year where it, it continued. Yeah. I mean, we, had, we had basically four months of horrible weather, you know, and it just never gave us a break last year. Knowing the winter can bring such extremes, why even calve in the middle of winter? Set says as a seed stock operation, they need to calve early so their bulls are mature enough for breeding the following year. For the people that do calve early, there are, you know, typically there are reasons why they, why they have to, um, you know, but a lot of it is just, they just have to be bred before they go up on, on, on summer units and whatnot in our part of the country. He says thanks to a remarkable crew, they were able to save all the calves that came at the height of the cold. And now in the calm after the storm, 
It's a reminder to enjoy the endless natural beauty of the prairies across the Great Plains. All right, thanks, Tyne, and that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a safe and warm week out in farm country.